Amen. So it's good to see everyone. And I have uh, a couple quick announcements. Uh, one, uh, we apologize for taking the screen over here, uh, but the preteens uh, needed it. The other projector is broken. And so for those of us over here, you have to look all the way over here. And I know the speaker is in your way, um, but just uh, allow your imagination uh, to roll, and you can certainly pull out your Bible on your phone or whatever PDA you might have, and so we're getting the scripture. So I do apologize for that. Hopefully this, um, hopefully we'll have our new facility ready. We will know Tuesday, uh, and so all that will be taken care of Tuesday. The second thing I really feel like I need to announce is that Barb Burt got a new puppy yesterday, and it's about, it's about one pound, and it looks like a cue ball, and so if you, if you see a bag of cotton, you know what her dog looks like, all right? So I just want to make sure everybody knows she has a new puppy dog, amen. So what we're going to do is that we're going to get in the Bible. If you're visiting with us today, it's great to have you here. If you're a member... We're not going to do a lesson on Job or Ruth, or Jonah and Ruth. So we're going to do something different today. Uh, we're going to go back to Jesus, and we're going to look at the rich man and Lazarus. And before we dive into the rich man Lazarus, it's in Luke 16, for those of us over here that can't see that far, first world problems, is that the older we get... And the more issues of life that we're a part of, the understanding and appreciation that the events in our lives have meaning. There are some people in the world that don't believe that our lives have any meaning. When we die, that's it. Me, on the other hand, I come from the view that, no, really, literally, all events in our life have meaning. And our lives do mean something. And the question that we need to ask is not why, but what. I'm reading this book right now. It's called Stop the Pain. It's a good book, but we're not going to read it as a church. It's a good book. And I love this. There's one of the chapters that talks about how you need to ask what and not why. Because why is more of a judgmental issue, and what is actually, it's less subjective. It's like, what have you done? What what is going on? And I appreciate that, asking the what versus the why. So if we assess or fail to assess the meaning of, if we assess or fail to assess that meaning of life by the way in which we respond to life's events. In other words, that we're going to understand the meanings of our life that understanding of what versus why. And we have to do it with the gifts and the pains of life that we're undergoing. The gifts and the pains of life is what matters and what we do with them. Hence, now the beginning of Lazarus and the rich man. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. It says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted scrumptiously every day. 
And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this fire. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner bad things. Now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you as a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who would... Pass over from here to you may not be able, to, and none that may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may be warned then, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, But If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. You know, this is is not a story of theodicy. God's justice. You know, life's not fair here, but God will even things up when you die. Or if you're comfortable here, hell waits you. This is not about theodicy. And again, we got to ask ourselves, the question is what, not why. We're all dealt hands. Sometimes you play poker and your hand is really good and you're excited. Sometimes you get nothing. Life's not fair. But how do you play your hand? It's what do we do with the hand dealt us, the gifts and the pains of life. And so Jesus addresses this question. And it's interesting how Jesus addresses this question, what, not why. And he addresses it by how we respond by using mammon, material blessings, money. In fact, if you look at Luke 15 down through this section, you see there's a trilogy. Prodigal wastes his father's possessions. Luke 15. Luke 16, you have the dishonest steward wasting his master's possessions. And now you have the rich man wasting his own possessions. Jesus here, in this trilogy, he gives us a little segment of like, okay, this is what you're to do. If you're going to answer the what, how, or how do you deal with the hand you're dealt, what do you do with it versus why? Look what he says here in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If you then have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will trust you or entrust you with true riches? 
And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. So Jesus basically saying, he said, use your money. Build relationships. Build friendships. Use it productively. And the Pharisees, who loved money, ridiculed Jesus. So Jesus is now to the point, okay, let me tell you a story. It says the tax, collector, tax collectors, the sinners were following him in Luke 15, verse 1. And, and you have this, this, this dialogue, this trilogy of, of lessons. The Pharisees are ridiculing Jesus. Okay, let me tell you this story. Luke 16, the, what we just read a second ago. And so he tells a story of Mr. No-Name and Lazarus. He tells a story of a man who has lots of money and Lazarus. And he says, and we read it just a second ago, but I'm going to read sections of it so we can follow along. He tells this story about Mr. No-Name. He says, there was a rich man in verse 16, verse 19, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted scrumptiously every day. And at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Because so you have a man, no name, but he's rich. And he's clothed in purple and fine linen. And back then, if you had purple, you made it. Charles, you made it. You're the man. He's rich. You need to borrow money? Go to Charles. And it says every day he feasted. Imagine that, Thanksgiving every day. That's what it was. I love, I love the day after Thanksgiving. I read people's posts, and they sit there and say, I'm still full. The next day or two after Thanksgiving, because they feasted scrumptiously every day. That's a word. <laughs> and you have another man. And you have this other man, and he's a poor man. And he's clothed with sores. And every day he desired to be fed. So you have two men. And you have this tension this uncomfortability, this uncomfortable situation, and, and the crowds, again, the tax collectors who deal with money, most of them dishonestly. You have the sinners coming to Jesus, and they're listening to these stories. You have the disciples. You have the Pharisees sneering, ridiculing Jesus. So you have this pool of people listening, and it's getting really uncomfortable. And so you have Mr. No-Name. I want everybody to know that I have money. So you dress in purple, fine linen. You walk around town and, and people see what you're wearing. Feasting every day. You have servants making these huge meals. And if you're feasting every single day, that means you're not observing the laws of God. Because you have fasting, 
You have to have your servants have to have days off to, to rest, the Sabbath. And so if you're going to feast every day, that means you're not allowing your servants to adhere to the prescribed laws of God. And so the rich man's lifestyle is more important than the law of God. And then you have Lazarus. Do you know Lazarus is the only named person in all the parables of Jesus? Lazarus, which means God, the one who God helps. I don't know what your name means, but this guy's name, Lazarus, the one who God helps. But, you know, it doesn't really seem like God's helping this guy very much. He's poor. He's covered in sores. And he's desiring to be fed every day. Is God helping this guy? You know, it says that he was laid every day at the gate of the rich man. He's too sick to walk. Who put him there? Who laid him there? It had to be the community. It had to be the relationships that this guy was building. He evidently, through his suffering, was able to connect to people that every morning and every evening they would bring him and take him home. Sick, hungry, covered with sores. And then the dogs came. You know, you read this about the dogs, and, you know, you think about Barb's little one-pound puppy and it kind of licking on you. And, or maybe it's Bowser, 10 pounds, and it comes up and it licks you. Or maybe you have something like in the 30 or 40 range. But see, they didn't have household dogs back then. They had guard dogs. They had dogs that would eat you. 100-pound dogs. Feasting, I mean, just ravagers. And it says these dogs. So evidently, he, he must have been inside the gate that the dogs that probably were guarding this estate would come and lick Lazarus' sores. And again, you think about that. It's like he had friends in the community, but evidently he even developed friendships with guard dogs. That they would come and lick his wounds, lick his sores. Terrible, terrible physical suffering. But they both died. We don't know how long Lazarus suffered. Weeks, months, years. We don't know. We don't know how the injustice was going on. But it says they both died. Story keeps on going. Luke chapter 16, verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. I love that. It says the, the angels carried him. The rich man also died and was buried. Okay, there's, there's theology right there. What, what, what does that mean? Aren't you supposed to fly to Abraham's side? I mean, can't you walk when you die? It says, I don't know, but it says he was carried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in these flames. 
But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass over from here to there may not. And none may cross from there to us. You know that tension? It's still there. And it's thick. And it continues even into the afterlife. And now what we have here, the situation we see is that characters are now starting to be revealed. You know, it's one thing. You come to church. You see somebody. Yeah, Jim's dressed nice. Got his doctor glasses on. But, you know, you don't know. You don't know what's going on in his heart. He could be like, I just flew in. I'm tired. When will this sermon be over? I want to get home and go to bed. I don't know that by looking at him. I know that by other ways. <laughs> so, <laughs> But you don't know what's in the heart. But at a time, someday, somehow, events will reveal character. And now we see in the afterlife, the characters are now starting to be revealed. See, it says the rich man in anguish looked up and saw Father Abraham and Lazarus by his side. But you know what's funny is that he doesn't speak to Lazarus. He speaks and rather he addresses Abraham. And it's interesting because you can imagine you're in anguish and you're looking up and there's Abraham. You know who Abraham is even though you're not worshiping him or following him as an inherent Jew. And then Lazarus, the guy who's on your gate is up there next to Lazarus, and he sees him, and you would think right now, surely he's going to apologize and ask for forgiveness, but it says, hey, send Lazarus. Send Lazarus. And what blows my mind is that that means he knew Lazarus. He knew that Lazarus was at his gate. He knew he was acquainted with all the suffering that Lazarus has been going through. All these years, he knew what Lazarus was going through. You know, we talked about the suffering that Lazarus was going through. Physical, hardship, hunger. But, you know, you kind of wonder if, if maybe emotional suffering was worse. Can you imagine that? Again, the physical stuff, the, the can't walk, the hunger, the, the anguish, and, and literally at the gate of a, within earshot of all the daily banquets. Imagine having Thanksgiving at your house. 20 people, 30 people in your house, the door open, and there's a beggar at your door listening to everything that's going on inside. Same group passing back and forth daily. Help was always near, but yet withheld from him. Emotional suffering. And then he plays the race card. Father Abraham. 
he plays this ethnic racial card. Abraham, we're brothers, right? Bro, take care of me. Send Lazarus. I'm in pain. Something must be done immediately. And so he demands services. And it's obvious, or actually what it is, it's he's oblivious to what he did to Lazarus and what he is now asking him to do in the present form. But he wants Abraham, the father of faith of the Jews, to rescue him. You know, in those crowds that are listening, that tension continues. The li- those who are listening are amazed. There's just, this is a terrible injustice. Tables are turned. How's Lazarus going to respond to this injustice? So what does Lazarus do? Nothing. He said he's silent. He's quiet. He doesn't say anything. He never murmurs against God. He never murmurs against the unequal distribution of wealth, nor against the rich man's abuse of it. With Abraham, when he's up and with Abraham, he neither exalts over this changed relationship between himself and the rich man. He doesn't protest against being asked to wait upon him in the place of torment or to go on errands for him to his brothers. This gentle, long-suffering man who built a relationship with the townspeople and even the dogs had no reservoir of anger ready to explode. No retaliation, nor score to settle, no vengeance to enact. Silence. You know, when you're put down, looked down on, refuge, and now you're the man, wouldn't you think that now it's time to get back? You know, on a, on a similar way, you know, I'm getting older. Going to be 60 here pretty soon. And I go out with the young guys, Jordan, he's like 22, you know, healthy, played baseball. Alan played baseball, you know, like 30. And Jeff and all these young guys, and we'll go play disc golf. And, you know, I lose, I lose, I lose, I lose. Well, not last week. I beat them all. I beat them like stepchildren. And within me was a time to gloat. (laughs) Just to gloat and say, I'm the man. But I didn't. Because I was humble. I wanted to be like Jesus. You know, you think, you ask yourself, well, why didn't Lazarus respond? But, you know, earlier, Jesus, again, talking to the crowds, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, he said, but love your enemies and do good and lend, 
expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Ugh. You got to love that way? You got to love your enemies and do kind to them? And even lend them money and not expect it back? And, and God is kind to the evil people and... Ah, I got to be merciful. You know, Paul talks about it. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, nor is arrogant and rude. Does not insist on its own ways, not irritable or resentful. Does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, there's interesting, there's two forms of patience here in this little segment, verse 4 and verse 7. First of all, love is patient. There's a Greek word, makarthumai, and what it means is to be long-suffering, forbearance, long-suffering, self-restraint before proceeding to action. It's the quality of a person who is able to avenge himself, yet refrains from doing so i'm in the position of power now Ah, no i'm not going to do that patience you're able you have the floor some people would say you have the right to lash out now the second one hypomeno means to remain to remain under like to persevere, endure, sustain, bear up, suffer as a load of misery, adversity, persecution. It's able to, to deal, bear up, long suffering over a long period of time. And see, these, you see this Lazarus exhibited both forms of patience. In his earthly life, when he was alive, he had no complaints. He was long-suffering, full of the hypomone, hypo, uh, hypomone. When, you, when English is hard enough for you as it is, <laughs> Greek is a little more difficult. But when you're in the position of power, at the, side of, at the side of Abraham, he exhibited another form of patience. He put his anger far away. And see, what happened is that Lazarus created meaning by what he chose not to do. He was quiet in the days of his powerless suffering and remained silent in his days of power. As he listened to his former tormentor demand services from him. And you can imagine this. Again, this tension. You have this one guy just... Abraham, tell Lazarus to do this. Tell Lazarus to do that. I know I'm suffering. you got to meet my needs right now. And on the other side, you have someone who's exhibiting love, but through patience. And so he brings Abraham now into this. 
And all eyes in this parable are focused on Abraham to see how he's going to respond to this insensitive request of sending Lazarus to dip his finger into water and put it on his tongue. And again, you would think, it's like, is this guy going to get it and repent and apologize? And Abraham looks at Mr. No Name, and he says, remember, remember. You know, when you're in a humble spot, when someone asks you to remember, maybe when you're in sin, and if you do it, you can start reevaluating and start thinking about some things. It's like, yeah, I was insensitive. I cannot tell you how many times this has happened in my relationship with like Patty or my boys. Remember? Yeah, I remember. I can be a jerk. I remember. Remember you received good things. Now it doesn't say who he received those good things from. You can't say, oh, God gave him good things and God gave him bad things. The text doesn't say that. He said, in this life you received, you were dealt this hand, it was good. You were, on the other hand, were dealt this hand and it was bad. But it's what you do with it. You received good things. Now, you neither earned or deserved what you got, but you got it. Lazarus, he didn't deserve or earn the bad things, but he got it. Now, he is being comforted, and you are in anguish. The rich man received good things and in turn passed on evil things to Lazarus, lying helpless at his gate. And Abraham then says, besides, there's a chasm. And if there's anybody over here that wants to go there, and he's probably looking at Lazarus. You can't go over there, dude. You can't go serve him. It's too late. I know you want to go over there and dip your finger in the water and put it on his tongue. You can't do it. It's too late. It's a chasm. Again, it's that, it's that he's in power now, and he wants to go serve the rich man. But Abraham says, no, he can't. He wants to, but he can't do it. And then besides, you can't come over here. It's too late. So the story continues. And what's fascinating here is that he says, I have five brothers. So if you take the, the rich man, Mr. No Name, and you had five brothers, that number is six. In Hebrew um, theology, numbers mean something. Six is the number of evil. Seven, holiness. So you can sit there and look at this text and say, evil. This is God saying this this mentality is evil. But I'm not going to go down that route. That's another lesson. (laughs) For I have five brothers that he may warn them, lest they also come to the place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. You know, if Lazarus can't be used as a waiter at the table, then surely he can become an errand boy. To serve the interests of his superiors. And again, there's no hint of repentance here. There's no hint of humility before Abraham. There's no apology to Lazarus that says, what have I done? 
And the rich man's class structure is still intact. They're having fun. And it says, Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. Now, here's the challenge. This guy wouldn't make time to read it. This guy, his, his lifestyle was more important to him than hearing to God's will. Because he feasted scrumptiously every day. And see, what was going on here is that you had this evil. And this evil, I'll get to it here in a second. This evil, I don't, I don't need to hear God's word. I don't have time for God's word. I don't want to understand God's word. No, 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 Father. If someone from the dead rises. You know, I've always thought about that. You know, the guy contradicts, and then he tries to correct Abraham. You know, it's fascinating. You can sit there, and we can discuss that for a second. But you know what? The, at the end of the day, according to the parable, the text, is that the, the Mr. No-Name saw Lazarus by Abraham's side, and he still didn't believe. So if he conceptually couldn't see what he has done and his influence on this really good-hearted guy that's now by Abraham's side, why would he think if someone would come from the dead to convince his brothers? It ain't going to happen. Because he himself still was living in unbelief. But just to think about it for a second. We would think in our nature, would think if someone did raise from the dead, that it would totally change us. It would last probably for about a month. Because we live in, always in the here and now. I was thinking this morning, we could have some fun with this. It's like, okay, how many people know the last 10 years Super Bowl champions? Last 10 years. No, no one's raising their hand. Last 10 years. No, don't do it, Raina. No. It's like, it's like we might. You, you, I would say, who's the last 10 presidents? And I guarantee you half of that would get, would get that wrong. But we live in the here and now. We don't. Someone raised from the dead, yeah, a year ago, has no impact on me now, today. But then again, that's, a, that's another discussion. You know, what can you take away from this lesson? You know, the question is not why, but what? What do we do now? The events of our life do have meaning. And it's how we respond to the hand that we're dealt that will show the meaning to our lives. What do we do with the good gifts and the pains of life is what, is what matters. The rich man responded to the good things given to him with self-indulgence, indifference to the need of others, arrogance, and class pride. Indeed, when it was too late, he begged to become Lazarus, the one who God helps. He was wide open for God to help him when it was too late. Lazarus, on the other hand, responded to his pain. But he responded with patience. 
long-suffering, gentleness, even to the point where he made friends with the wild dogs and evidently must have showed gratitude to his friends in the community who kept carrying him back and forth to the gate. So who is Elzar? Lazarus? <laughs> From Lazarus' response, the one who God helps, from Lazarus' response to the suffering in his life and the implied forgiveness of the Mr. No-Name in the next life, it's clear that God was with him and helped him all the way. Because by only with divine help can such a response be possible. Again, in the text, we don't see God helping Lazarus respond correctly. But how could you go through that and not have God's help? I don't know what suffering you're going through now. I don't know what hardship you, you're going through right now. But there is a way to respond. There is a way to let God help you. There isn't, there's a right way to, to address people and build relationships and, and show the kind of patience that God wants us to have. And on the other hand, evil will respond in a self-indulgent, arrogant, my way or the highway. And respond in such a way that not allowing the word of God to change our hearts. And then when it's too late, then be willing. And I pray that we'll look at the story of Lazarus and the rich man as we take communion and understand Jesus and, and his life on this earth. That again, too, we'll see a Lazarus and Jesus, one who God helps. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, our God, we come to you now this time humbled and grateful for this opportunity to look at one of your parables. Father, that, that you had your son share so that Father will understand you in a deeper way. God, that we'll understand how much you love us and care for us and how much, Father, you want us to do it your way, not the world's way. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his life and his example. Thank you for his willingness to teach us and mold us and train us. And I pray, God, that we'll respond correctly like Lazarus. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.